Well, good morning to you all. What a privilege to be here. It's so good to be in camp meeting and just to have some time this week to worship with you all. I'm like uh, Brother Johnny. It's the best vacation you can ever have. I'm going to read to you all tonight, or this morning rather, just a few. um, I've got a few passages that uh, we've been talking about in our Sunday school at home and there's um, the Word of God always uses illustrations to help us understand what it's trying to say. This was right. the hallmark of the preaching of Christ. And, but it's not just just parables. It's uh, the, the whole seems to draw paint pictures right. for us and give us uh, ways applicable ways we can understand God's will. And I want to just say I love you all so much, everybody. And and it's a good feeling to feel that way. Yeah. <clears throat> just no anger, no hatred, no. just genuine good will and good interest. Even if someone doesn't treat me right, I, I'm not. I am. I will. I don't mind telling y'all though that I am sick of the devil. Yeah. And yeah. he is the cause. Whatever you got, someone against somebody, you've got to remember that. And my wife's helped me understand that. It's not them. It's him. That's right. And you look past that yeah, and see, and it'll. Warm your heart and put you in the right attitude toward your brothers and sisters. Well, I'm going to read to you, um, begin reading this morning from the second chapter of the book of the Revelation. And um, beginning with verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. And thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience for my name's sake, and hast labored, and and hast not fainted. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen... And repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now the candlestick is the device that holds the fire. So if you have no candlestick, you have no chance of Holy Ghost fire. Obviously he wrote this to a church. This was to a congregation in Ephesus. But I believe that in every body of believers like we've got here today, there's some members of the church of Ephesus here. And there's some members of the church of Laodicea, the church of Thyatira, and those others. But he says to them that this was one of, um, at least in my estimation, one of the more thriving congregations that... We find in Scripture in the New Testament church, the church at Ephesus was a um, solid church. And he confesses to them here, I know thy works, thy labor, I know you've had patience, you've been zealous for me, you've worked, but you've left your first love. I'm going to go back to um, the book of Acts and give you just um, a few verses here about how this church came came to be. And we find in Acts chapter 19. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Yeah. And finding certain disciples, 
These were believers who had heard the gospel to an extent. But the Apostle Paul finds these believers and he says this. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And the Scriptures go on to tell us that the Apostle Paul stayed with them. He did take a, a brief leave into Macedonia and go back. But he, I believe he stayed with the church at Ephesus longer than he did any other congregation, at least of what's recorded, what information that we have. So this was a relationship. Remember, the foundation was that they received the Holy Ghost. They were believers. They were zealous. They were, they were forgiven of their sins. They were sincere. But they had not heard that there was a Holy Ghost. And it was the baptism of the Holy Ghost that launched that church in the right direction. And then the discipleship and the teaching of Paul and the other apostles and the other disciples that were there that led them, and it says, he tells us, for three years he ceased not night and day teaching and preaching among the people. And this atmosphere, even in a pagan culture, in a Gentile land, created a solid church of Christ, a church of the gospel. There came a period of time when the Apostle Paul had to leave, and he wasn't going to stay there forever, but he was a, an apostle. That is, he was one that started churches. He was a planter. He planted, Apollos watered. And so his mission was to plant, and there were other fields yet to uh, more seed to sow. And he had to take his leave. But this is a very difficult time. I guess it comes in the, you know, in the process of time, and it's recorded in the next chapter of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul gathers the elders of the church of Ephesus to him. And he, for one last night, it seems like his heart was just poured out over this work, this ministry that he had invested and God had he'd seen the miracles that God had done. It right. said that God wrought might, special miracles by His hands and great things were done in Ephesus. The whole city had been in an uproar over this goddess that they had set up and erected and now the people were falling at the, and repenting at the preaching of the gospel and coming to Christ. But now in His time to leave, He gathers them and He begins to speak to them. And He knows that he pro- this is what he says, you'll see my face no more. So this was it. And though he had been there three years with them, day and night, teaching, preaching, he was going to be gone. So what happens when the leader leaves? And now behold, I know, this is a Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. And though I'm not with you, the word of His grace can build you up. And though I'm taken away from you, I'm committing you to a far greater power. It's a greater source of strength, the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. And that was his testimony. And so Paul takes his leave. Now what happened as Paul leaves, he began to write letters back. And this is how we have the epistles. This is the constitution of the New Testament. And he was writing letters back to his congregation. And oh, there's hardly any congregation that he wrote to like he wrote to the Ephesians. And he didn't have a whole lot of problems to straighten out with them. He didn't have a lot of issues to address, but he just was able to spend his time in his epistle. Oh, he, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. Blessed be the Lord God and Father. And he began to write and talk to them how, uh, how God had blessed them. I think I can find Ephesians. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And he continues on. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise. Continuing in chapter 2, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Continuing on down a little further, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we have access by one spirit into the to the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. This is his words to him. This was the condition of the church. Fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. If Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Chapter 3, for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ. And he goes into chapter 4, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He talked to them again more about the body. Why did he come? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity 
of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that ye be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is, this is kind of the... This is giving you a little bit of an idea of the heartbeat of the epistle to the Ephesians. His heart, he loved these people. They had given their all to God. And so he goes into chapter 5 and is built on this foundation. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now that to me is one of the most staggering verses in all of Scripture. As Christ loved the church... And he gave himself for it. He loved it and gave himself for it. Well, I believe if you and I had received an epistle from the Apostle Paul like that, we'd have been shouting before we got through with chapter 3. And it's so encouraging. And it's not just to them, but it is to you. It's to me. It's to every individual. That's the way the Word of God is written. But what happened now... Just a few years down the road, John, the angel, the Spirit is telling John, write to the church of Ephesus. They were the first one out of seven churches, the first one on the list. Take and write, write these letters to the churches. And he says, oh, I know all the good. I know your labor. I know your works. I know what you've done. I know that you've tried them with your liars. You've cast them out. Nevertheless, somewhat against thee, after all that, You've left your first love. And I have thought of that verse a lot this year. Christ said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I was, um, I I didn't intend to say this, but it just crossed my mind. A few weeks ago, I was uh, getting, winding up a day's work and we were, loading up and getting ready to go home and a car pulled up out on the street and a, a young young boy and his girlfriend got out of the car and they just walked down the driveway and went on into a house and just in that period of time boy you could just see the fireworks oh they had it bad and they just were it was just this uh you know all-consuming love and of course, I understand it was a romantic love. It was not like the love we're talking about. But there was something about that that kind of caught my attention. You just didn't have to look at them very long, and you knew they had they were they had love. They had they were they were a couple. You didn't have to worry about that. You knew it. And it was just like, have you ever seen a new convert? Yeah. Amen. Right. And somebody come to Christ. And the glory of God's just all over their face. And there's a glow in their eyes and a smile on their face. And they love to go to church. They just love it. They love to go to church. And they love to testify. And they love Jesus. And it's not a job. It's not a chore. It's your life. And I want to tell you that a genuine sanctified experience will get better but just as we see in the natural, in a natural union between a man and a natural marriage, young years down the road, a couple may get all dressed up and come out to church or wherever and have the family in tow after years of marriage and everything looks great. But on the inside, you could open up the door. It's not warm anymore. Something's happened. To that 
youth, fire, passion that once was there. And I'm not here today to speak about that, but I want to talk to some of you members of the church of Ephesus. And I know, at one time, felt that fire, that passion. Some may might have been years ago, but you knew the joy of sins forgiven, and you loved Jesus. In His words, I know thy works, and I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He didn't say you'd left your first lover. Oh, you're still together. Still bear the name. But it's just not warm anymore. If we could take an illustration, I think all this scripture is teaching us. If we could just kind of, now I know we're here for worship service, thank God for that. But we could uh, look around and just pretend we were in a wedding today. And had an expectation of a bride and a groom. And you know how the... How we traditionally, it's not our invention. This is going all the way back. Some of these traditions, especially during a wedding ceremony, go all the way back to Scripture. They weren't just made up by someone. And the groom will come in over here and stand on this side, and the bride comes down the aisle. Now, what happens first? She is adorned in white. Well, I know you could have a legal marriage without that. And you could go, you can get married and you don't have to even have a ceremony. I understand that's all down here. But why do we do that? Why, does the bride, why is the bride's dress white? It represents purity. It represents cleanliness, clean. And she has to be dressed that way before she is presented to the groom. It's, it's all an example to help us to see and understand if you are going to ever be married to Christ, you must first be clean. That's right. You have to be robed in white. That old robe was dirty, tattered, torn. And I don't care what, doesn't matter if you've been away out in the world or if you haven't. It's still, you are, the robe is dirty. The heart is not clean. You're not worthy to marry this great prince. And there's no, I couldn't make an application. If you could take the most, uh, just the, the poorest wretch and try to put it with the prince of England, they would say they're not compatible. There's no way. They're, well, that's have no comparison to the way God looked down on us. And this is why it's, I think it's proper in the natural realm of things for a male to initiate a relationship. Proper relationships are initiated by the male. Why is that? We love Him because He first loved us. Amen. And when you get away from that, you're getting away from God's design and His intent. See, He's trying to teach us. He didn't, we didn't, he didn't love us because we were so beautiful and just charmed Him with all our winning ways. No. <laughs> Far from it. We were defiled. We were vile. We were sinful. We had no hope without God in the world. But He saw something and said, I want to bring... The... And He had to make us worthy. That's right. We weren't worthy to walk the aisle, to come to Christ. But He can make you worthy. And you have to put on white. This is symbolic of forgiveness of your sins. You've got to be clean. You've got, before, this, is what, this is starting to teach us about this thing we call sanctification. And so and Uncle Steve mentioned last night and uh, made reference to the um, holiness movement of the 19th century. 
And I could be wrong, but I think that that is where we develop this tradition that we practice of the men standing on this side and the women standing on this side. Why is that? Well, remember, the bride, the groom comes in and stands on this side, and the bride comes and she is at on this side. And so when they face the minister, and he, they take the solemn vows of marriage, when they turn to walk after, immediately after marriage and they turn to go out into the world, she's on his right arm. And so those old Methodists, this goes back to our Methodist roots, had such an expectation of God coming in the service that they began to arrange themselves in this way that they were, that God was redeeming sinners to himself and constantly coming for his bride, that in every service souls would be born and won to him. And they arranged themselves that way. And had this expectation that God's Spirit was going to come. That people would be first made clean and forgiven of their sins before they would be able to walk the aisle and take the solemn vow of marriage. For better, for worse, in sickness, in health, regardless of all the circumstances. They would say, forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. Will you promise to be faithful in the discharge of your duties to promote His happiness? And when that clean pure vessel makes that commitment, then Christ comes and takes them to Himself. And they bear His name and they bear His nature. And then after that, they're given the charge of His house. And His house is your heart. And that was always His intention. Let me go uh, quickly to... So who is your... Let me go quickly to Isaiah 53... Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Have you ever seen some of these young boys lifting weights and think they uh, put on strength and they'll wear a shirt with no sleeves or maybe pull their arm up like this? They wanted to show you. (laughs) To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Have you ever seen His arm? And then he goes on with this prophecy. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's prophesying of Jesus. He's talking about the man that would be born. And he was completely overlooked by all the professionals. The students who had spent all their life studying the prophecy, studying the scroll, expecting His coming, completely looked right past Him because He didn't look like what they thought He would look like. But the arm of the Lord was not revealed to them. And when you see the King in His beauty, you don't see that man that hung on the cross in all of His, red, in all of his blood and all the vileness of a Roman cross. You don't yeah. see that at all. But you see the King in His beauty. And He's high and lifted up, and He's riding a white horse this morning. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as the lamb to the slaughter. This is your king, this is your Lord. 
And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And the chapter continues, and then it says that um, thou shalt see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And then it goes on into chapter 54. And very often that leaves off the picture of the man that would come to, to Jerusalem, to the Jews, but it does not stop. And when you read through and you see into chapter 54, what you find is this. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. This was to a barren people. This was using the analogy of a barren womb, of a barren woman who had never been able to produce children and tried. But all now the prophecy, the promise is, see, it's a message to the church. Sing barren that didst not bear. And this is what he says. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. And shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more, for thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, as a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but in great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. Oh, God, don't do that. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For I have sworn the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall not depart. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness will not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. And the prophecy continues and goes on and on. But what he's teaching us here is that your maker is your husband. And his relationship is not... And if it's cold, if it's dead, God is not... That's not satisfactory. That's not His will. Though you do so many great... though you, That's not to say you're not His wife, but it's to say He expects more. He's looking for more. It doesn't have to be that way. And I believe it's safe to say that this institution, God's given us of marriage... Excuse me. Can be the greatest blessing of life. To some, it's the greatest blessing. And to some, it's a source of greatest heartache and anxiety. And I just want to say to you today that this Christian life and your marriage to Christ, to some, is the greatest joy. And to some, it's the greatest difficulty and the greatest heartache and source of anxiety. Why? Because there's no love. You're going to have a hard time keeping the commandments of Christ, submitting yourself to Christ as He has commanded when you don't love Him. If you don't really love Him and love what He loves. But when you do, there's no...
cold indifference. It's so warm. And in the times when you're alone, He comes. And He speaks His love to you. And there's no experience like that. And it becomes the greatest joy. My brothers and sisters, if you don't experience now, if you don't know what I'm talking to you about, I'm talk, this message is to you. It's to the church at Ephesus. If you don't understand that experience, it can be yours. It's real. In fact, it must be yours. This is why he said, repent and do the first works, lest I come quickly. Oh, see that drift. Little while, little while, and then one day, it's gone. It's gone. I had another place turned down, but I think I'll pass. <clears throat> I guess it was about a year and a half ago. Renee and I came down a year ago. I don't really remember. Renee and I came down here for a funeral for a sweet lady we had both known all of our lives, but by the time we were old enough to know her, she was a grandmother, so we only knew her in that capacity. <clears throat> and, but when we came down for the funeral, I began to learn more about her, and it was told me, you know, when she was younger and her children were little, that she used to um, not just prepare a meal for her husband when she was a homemaker, not just prepare a meal, when he would come home every night. But she would take the children and dress them up and clean them up, put clean clothes on them, and put on clean dress and have a meal spread out every afternoon. She loved her husband. Well, that's quite obvious. You don't... Let me tell you something. A lot of people have, well, that is old school. Boy, that's old-fashioned. Never hear that anymore. And that's certainly true. But I'm not trying to make a point about that. But I am trying to make a point about this. That life that she lived spoke to me. And it Amen. teaches us. And in that, mo that act of faithfulness to her husband, in her life, in her house... Speaks volumes to the kingdom of God. It stands in heaven higher than any act of any greatness you could do, humanitarian effort or anything. In the heavenly realm, that is so high, it's so lifted up. They would give of themselves. Why? Because God has called you, if you are a believer, to be a homemaker for Him. Amen. Amen. You have the charge of the care of His house. That's and right. when He comes, does He find your house of your heart in order? Just expecting Him, waiting for Him, wanting to see Him. Can't wait to see you this afternoon. When you come home, is it warm? Yes. Or when He comes, you find some idol stuck under the bed. Maybe He senses the presence of some other man's gone out. Something's not right. You are the one that has the charge of that. It's a and it's, it is a marriage. It's a marriage. And it is in the small 
details. He sees the details. And that which is done in secret will be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I want to tell you, that applies to evil, secret sin, all kinds. But it also applies to faithfulness. It applies to men and women who just love Jesus and give their life every day. It's not a sacrifice when there's love. That's right. And so to the church of Ephesus, he writes, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. That passion, that joy, that thrill. Not like it used to be. Doesn't have to be. But... I love singing that hymn with the passing of the years. Richer, fuller, deeper. And when Christ comes, when He comes to my heart, and I'm going to meet Him, and I'll lay down my head tonight after all this activity's over with, and it'll be quiet. And I'm going to meet Him. And I'll be accountable for what I've told you today. Amen. But I just want to tell you, I want to hold up faithfulness, And let you see that it's not a legalistic way. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. But it's a marriage to Christ. And when you love Him, you won't find it hard to do for Him. You will have eyes for no other. No one in the world will look as beautiful. And when He comes to you, He says, Oh, my love, my sister, my spouse, my love, my dove, my undefiled. You begin to read those passages that Solomon wrote. And he says, when Solomon, like the Shulamite girl, I'm not going to take the time to turn to you and read it. The Shulamite girl that Solomon wrote about. And they asked her, he said, what is thy beloved more than than another beloved? And she had her answer. She had, oh, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven. And he goes on and on and on with the description. And she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend, oh, ye daughters of Jerusalem. So when you are confronted with that question as you go out into your life, people will know if it's real, if it's genuine, if it radiates. You won't have any short of description to describe your Lord, your experience. It's real. And the marriage is happy and it's warm at home. Warm at home. In all circumstances of life, that is a comfort, that is a strength, and that's real. Well, I know some of you are wanting to come to be married to Christ today. And I'm not going to hold you any longer, but first you've got to be clean. If there's any of you that are clean, you want to make a commitment for better, for worse, sickness and health. That's right. And promise to promote His happiness to be joined in marriage once and for all for the rest of your life. That's what God's interested in. Lifelong. Aren't you glad He wasn't interested in casual dating when He courted you? Wasn't, wasn't interested in a one-night affair? Monogamous, lifelong relationship. That was His intent. What if He had left us? Just took you a little while and turned around and left and gone some other way. No, not our Savior. Not our Lord. He is our Lord. And that's why we teach you. It's so important to you young people to understand that. And realize that it's serious. Yes, it and the, if the union between a man and a woman gets out of balance with God's intent and His design to teach you Christ in the church, then it's out of the will of God. But I didn't intend to jump on that. As I said, we're going to let you come. The congregation may stand while we sing a hymn. Pray for me. Wonderful story of love.